If, uh, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the text that we're going to be looking at today, please turn to Matthew uh, chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to be reading a short passage uh, of scripture, hopefully to help me preach a short sermon or a shorter sermon. And that is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 down through verse 38. It says, and Jesus went, went throughout all the, the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is, this is the word of our God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of his word this morning. So if you have been here uh, over this week and last week uh, for our mission festival, you know that the, the theme of our festival this year is ripe for harvest. And last week, I preached from the passage from which that theme is taken, which is John chapter 4, uh, verse 31 through verse 38. Now, this is actually a, a little bit of a different kind of mission festival for, for me at Old Cutler, actually in the whole time I've been a pastor, which has been for a long time, in that in every church I've ever been in, when we had a Sunday to Sunday mission festival, um, I usually am the person that, that kicks it off. But then typically we have another person that comes in, a preacher comes in, and he preaches the, their sermon to wrap it up. Uh, but our mission committee wanted, uh, wanted us to do something a little bit different this year, wanted us to have the opportunity to hear from Donnie and Julian at the beginning of, of, of the service. And so what that has provided me with a, a, the privilege of doing is preaching on missions twice, which I'm super excited about and so thankful for because I just love to talk about missions. But since I was, I was sort of tasked with preaching both sermons, I, I had to kind of give some thought to, well, how do I connect into this theme, this theme of ripe for harvest? And so that's what led me to the passage that we're looking at today from Matthew chapter 9. In fact, in, in verse 37, Jesus says something that is very similar to something we looked at last week when he says, the harvest is plentiful. Notice that language, which is, isn't that far removed, that different from uh, the fields are ripe for harvest, that same kind of idea. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to use this text to continue to press into what it means for us as the people of God to faithfully engage in the harvest. And, and I'm going to talk about three additional things. We talked about three things last week of engaging the harvest. I'm going to draw to your attention three things from this text as well. And the first of these is something that we absolutely need if we are going to be faithful in engaging the harvest. And that is what I would describe as harvest hope. Harvest hope. All right? So what do I mean by that idea of harvest hope? Well, what I'm, I'm talking about is that we... we truly come to terms with the, the ultimate sort of hope of the harvest. In, in other words, that we, we recognize the, the significance of Jesus and his work and what Jesus and Jesus alone brings to this world. And we get some indication of that if you notice what the text says again in verse 35. It says, and Jesus went throughout, went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, what this verse represents actually is a summary statement. And it, it's a summary statement of the ministry of Jesus. In fact, you'll see almost this exact language in different 
parts of the gospel. And this summary statement tells us something about Jesus' public ministry. It's what he did. And what does it say? It says that he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And then it says he healed every disease and every affliction. So that Jesus' public ministry, if we were to summarize it, what was it like? Well, it was a ministry of proclamation and it was a ministry of healing. Okay? And note what it says here, that he proclaimed the gospel, the euangelion, the good news of the kingdom. And in, in, in another way I can put it is that he proclaimed this, this message of the kingdom of God coming to this world through his life and death and resurrection. But then it also says that he healed, and it says he healed every disease and every affliction, which would have, would have represented a sign, if you will, of his messiahship, but it also would be more than that. And this is the part that I want you to understand, that it would actually represent his healing of every disease and every affliction, not some diseases, not many diseases, but every disease and every affliction. It actually became a foretaste of that ultimate healing that the kingdom of God would bring to this world. In other words, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we, we have to make sure that we don't make the mistake, the reductionistic mistake that so often people make. Now, what do I mean by a reductionistic mistake? Here's what happens. When we begin to think about the gospel, when we begin to think about the kingdom of God coming to this world, we live in this category, that Jesus wants us to tell people about him so that they can believe in him so that they can go to heaven when they die. Is that true? Uh, yes, absolutely, right? I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful sense of assurance that we can have to know what our eternal future is, right? It's, it's wondrous to know that if, if we die before Jesus comes again, if we believe in Jesus, we're going to go to heaven. Okay. But is that the fullness of this story? Absolutely not. It's not. Jesus didn't just come to this world to live and die and rise again so individuals can go to heaven when we die. He came to this world to do what? To make, let me say it this way, to make all things new. He came to this world to set what is wrong right again. He came to this world to do that which nothing and no one else could do. Now, here's part of the problem we struggle with in the church. We are in a world, we live in a world, a broken world system that, that has a tendency to, to marginalize, or, or let, me, let, me, let me say it another way, because I think it's even bigger than that. It's not just marginalize, to reject spiritual solutions, right? That's the world we live in. It rejects these things. And so you, you kind of understand how, how does the world function. What the world basically does is it says that the answer to problems, to life's problems, it, it's, found in, it's found in science. It's, it's found in technology. It's, it, it's found in politics. This is why our news is consumed by this stuff. Because we think that is the answer. That's the answer. And what do we do with religion? It's not just Christianity. It's just religion. Push it over in the corner and privatize it. This is about you and your little individual life, and that's pretty much it, right? Now, when I, when I critique the world and what it does, I'm not saying that science doesn't matter. I'm not saying that technology doesn't matter. I, I'm not saying the politics doesn't matter. But what I am saying is this. It's not the ultimate answer. And we should know that. Just look at it. 
and look at its failures and look at its shortcomings, it's not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer, the ultimate hope, the, the hope of the harvest, the hope for this world is found in this one, Jesus Christ. Now, when we begin to understand that, it's, it's propulsive. What do I mean by that? It pushes us because we, we, we realize we don't have a little message. We don't have a, a, a little, so almost insignificant thing. We have the answer. We not only have the means of salvation, we have the answer to your neighbor's anger. We have the answer to your friend's alcoholism. We have the answer to the world's sexual brokenness. We have the answer to the injustices that we see in this world. We have the answer to the political turmoil of our world. We have the answer to death. To death itself. And that is in this hope, the hope of Jesus. That's the message we declare. Okay? Now, that, that harvest hope becomes propulsive, but there's something else that we need with that, which is the second thing that I want to talk about, which is what I'm going to describe as harvest heart, a harvest heart. And that, that harvest heart is a heart for a sinful, broken, lost world that reflects the heart of Jesus. Okay? It reflects the heart of Jesus. Now, again, and I mentioned this for the first point, because we, we live in this world, right, this, this broken world, we, we breathe this air, we experience the things of, of life in this world, I, I think at times we can be, and, and this is true for us as Christians, we can become hardened and jaded and cynical towards lostness, right? I mean, I think that can happen, but that's, that's not what we see with Jesus. So if you, if you notice in verse 36, it says when he, when he saw, this is talking about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, note when Jesus sees the crowd, when he sees lostness, what, what, what comes out of him? It, well, the text tells us compassion, which is a word that's behind it. It has this idea of being something from the, from the bowels, from the, from the guts, right? It's, it's something that sort of wells up or rises up from us. It's just sort of in, from this real deep place, and it pours out from us. This is what it's being described. So from, from Jesus, there, there's a sense of this, this welling up of, of compassion or, or pity or mercy or sympathy, all these different kinds of things towards lost people, okay? Now, the text actually tells us why this happens. And it's not what you, would, what, what you see oftentimes in the gospel, what you see Jesus showing compassion to those who are specifically in physical need. That, and that makes total sense, doesn't it? If you're in physical need, then Jesus, and he does. As part of his healing ministry. He sees people in desperate physical need. His compassion comes out, and he, he heals them. That's one of the things that, that causes compassion to rise up in us. When we see desperate physical need, typically we respond compassionately to that, right? But that's not what's described here. It says Jesus was compassionate because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, what I, what I, I think that language actually helps us to understand is something of what sin does to us. It harasses us. It pursues us. It seeks to destroy us. 
and we are utterly and absolutely helpless before it. That's the condition of this world. That's what lostness is. We are harassed by sin, and we can do nothing to, to, to stop it. We're, we, we're helpless. We don't, we don't have any power to overcome this because we, we've rejected the shepherd. We don't have the shepherd. And so sin just takes us, and it consumes us, right? Now, when Jesus sees that, wow, what does that cause? What does that lossness, what does that condition cause? What causes compassion? What does it cause in you? I imagine that for some of us, that may be the case. We're, we, we got it. We got the compassion thing. But for others, it may be that we fall into one of, of sort of three camps. And I'm talking about Christian people in response to lost people in the world. And what are those three camps? Well, one of those may be indifference, which basically means what? You just don't care. There's lostness all around you, and you are indifferent towards it. Just go about your business, do your thing. Another camp that I think we can fall into is fear. We're just afraid. And what we're afraid of is we're afraid of the darkness, the use of the language that Donnie used. We're afraid of that. We're, we're afraid of the, the influence that, that lost people can have on us. We're afraid of, of their, their power. We're afraid that they may pull us towards them. We're, we're afraid that we can be, I don't know, contaminated by them, right? You know what the third one is? And I know a lot of folks fall into this one. It's just disdain. And what I mean by that is, and we may try to cover ourselves and say God hates sin, which he does. But we say, oh, I'm hating sin, but we're not. We're hating people, right? We're like furious, angry at people because maybe they, they think in a way different than us or they influence things in a way that we don't want, right? And therefore, our, our, our minds are just sort of just full of, of just hatred towards that person or that group of people or whoever that may be, and it has us. And I will tell you a way that you can check yourself. Look at what you are posting on social media. My wife, I'm going to tell you a story. I didn't ask her for permission. I used to have this thing, whenever I told a story, whenever I told a story without permission, I had to give them a dollar. I'll give you a dollar. Five, ten dollars? $10 to my wife. Okay, my wife is married to this man. I'm the preacher at Old Cutler Presbyterian Church, which is a pretty solid Bible-believing church. And that is a pretty solid Bible-believing woman that loves Jesus, right? She shared a thought on social media and got called out for not being a Christian. That's why she doesn't get on social media. Not being a Christian for a particular thought. And that's the preacher's wife at Old Cutler Presbyterian Church. Okay? Hey, listen. I don't know what you think compassion is, but it ain't that. It's not. Now, okay, let's say... We are in 
right, I'm going to push it. I'm going to move. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm, I'm up here in the preacher spirit. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to move. We're indifferent. We're, we're fearful. We're angry. If those are the things, then, then we see Jesus' heart and we kind of go, okay, we have, to, we have to come back to that heart. Then how do we, how do we begin to come back to that heart? Well, I think you can say a number of different things. But, but one of the things that I can certainly say is this. We need to remember something. And what do we need to remember? That when the text tells us, when he saw the crowds, that you're in the crowd. You're not out here. You're in there. Which means, if you are a Christian today, you are a recipient of his compassion. You are a recipient of his grace. And the reason that is so absolutely important is because only the people who know that they are recipients of it can give it. Do you know you are the broken and the fallen and the sinful and the wicked redeemed by the blood of a gracious and kind and compassionate Savior. When you do, you start moving towards sinners like you. Okay? All right. So that's harvest hope. That's a harvest heart. And the third thing we need is harvest help. In other words, we need God to do this, right? We need God to do this. I mean, when we think of the Great Commission, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's action-oriented, isn't it? I mean, Matthew 28, that tells us, you know, go. I mean, it's action-oriented. Uh, when we think of, you know, to, to be witnesses, it's action-oriented. When we think of making disciples, action-oriented. All of that, it's all action-oriented. But what we need to remember about the Great Commission, even when we see it in Matthew 28, remember it's, it's sort of bookended around these ideas of all authority in heaven and earth being given to him and, and that he will be with us until the end of the age. And the Great Commission, that call to go, it's all sort of wrapped up in that whole idea that it is only because God is at work that we can do any of this. I think this particular text reflects that idea. And so if you notice in verses 37 and 38, it says, Then he, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now note, he's saying something really important. Okay, the harvest is plentiful. It's that same idea. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is now. It's, it's there, right? But there are not enough workers. There are not enough laborers. But if you didn't have this text in front of you, if we didn't just read it, what would you think the next thing to be said would be? I, I, you know what it is, right? The harvest is plentiful. There's not enough workers. What do we need to do? Make the few who are working work harder or recruit more people, right? Because that's the way church works. You got a ministry booming, right? And what do we do? When a ministry's booming, what do we got to do? Kill the people who are doing it or we got to recruit. We got to get more volunteers in the ministry. Now, I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm not saying there's something wrong in and of itself with that. But it's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. We don't have enough workers. Pray. We touched on this the other night, on Wednesday night. Pray. Why? Here's the simple answer. Because ultimately, this is 
God's work. I mean, a lot of times when we think of what missions is, we think of it as an activity of the church, but it's not primarily that. It is God's work. In fact, even here, it is clear that the harvest belongs to whom? He says it. He's the Lord of the harvest. Didn't he say that? The way it ends is he talks about laborers going into whose harvest? His harvest, right? It belongs to him. This is his work. Which reminds us of something that is very important. And this is the thing that I want to grab your heart with this year. And that is that missions is God's. God is on mission. And you and I, and this is without exception, all of us who claim the name of Jesus, all of us are part of or wrapped up in that mission. So from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible, what do we see? We see God on mission. God bringing redemption to this world. God restoring all things in this world. All that was corrupted by the fall, all that was corrupted by sin, God is on mission bringing about this new heaven and new earth and all of humanity, all of his people who are called into his, his presence, all who are called into a relationship with him are placed on that mission with him. And that means you and you and you and you and you and not just you. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, what is your connection today to that mission? Now, some of you may respond by saying, I don't really have one. I actually walked in the doors of the church today, and I never liked mission before. <laughs> I never liked mission festival before. And the only thing that I know is that we, have, we talk about this once a year, and that's, that's it, at mission festival. So it's one week a year, one, two Sundays a year, and that's it. I want to tell you that that's not the place where you should be. And I want to encourage you to begin the process of thinking differently than that. Okay? And to think differently than that may mean a number of different things. It may mean you take seriously these missionaries that we support and you pray for them. It, it may mean that you consider giving to missions through faith promise. It certainly means that you are to understand that reaping and sowing that you were called to in whatever sphere of influence you were in. It certainly means that. But if you are not there, here's what I encourage you to do. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. See yourself as a part of the laborers. And then go on to the next thing that Jesus says. Pray. And what's that prayer about? is to pray even for yourself. That God will begin to change your longings and your desire and your will that it would reflect his. Amen?